Uh, they um, think that this particular passage that we're going to be looking at this week is directed to unbelievers. And I don't think so. I think it's directed to, well, I guess they're partially right. I believe it's directed to believers who have just remained immature or to, if you will, unbelievers who think they're believers in the sense that they are the soil that has the, the thorns and the thistles and, and the rocky ground. And so warning them, check your soil. So that's my view. Investigate the scriptures and determine it yourself because what's important is not what I think, but your study of the scriptures. And so taking a look at Hebrews chapter 5, starting with verse 11, it says, Concerning him, and again, him is Melchizedek. He brought Melchizedek up because he was a high priest, but he was not a part of the Aaronic priesthood. And the writer of Hebrews is going to make a particular point about Jesus as our high priest and that comparison with Melchizedek. So he says, concerning him, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So he's going, I really want to talk more about him, but you're just not listening. You just don't pay attention. You may think you're listening, but you're not hearing me. And so you become dull of hearing. Now, this initially looks like he's being pessimistic but we're going to see in a little bit uh, that ultimately he's going to be optimistic. And so he says, I want, and it's kind of like a teacher who loves to teach. And let's say this teacher loves to teach 17th century French literature. I don't know why anybody would be interested in teaching 17th century French literature, but there are people who do and people who are excited about it. But it's really tough to teach 17th century French literature if you don't speak French. It's kind of in the same way. The writer's saying, there's so much I want to teach you. But, but you're not ready yet. You haven't paid attention. You haven't done what is necessary as the prerequisites to get there. So for though by now, this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again of someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracle of God, and you have become to need milk and not solid food. So he goes, there has been enough time passed since your following Jesus for your commitment to Jesus that you ought to know not only the elementary teachings of the God, but you ought to be able to teach those to others. When it comes to spiritual matters, it's, it's kind of interesting because it seems that there are those who become believers and get excited for an initial point of view, and then they kind of just move on, and they've been believers for 20 years, but they're not in... in Spiritual age, maybe six months old. And others who 
dig into the word of God and dig into the word of God and become really knowledgeable of the word of God. And yet they may be six months old spiritually or 110 spiritually. You can't tell by looking at somebody's chronological age how old they are spiritually. And he's saying there, there is this time, enough time has passed, not in your chronology, but in your following Jesus to be able to teach people the basics. And how I know that this is true today is that there are lots of times people will say, well, pastor, will you go to see my friend so-and-so and share the word of God? That's your job. You should be able to do that. You should be able to tell them the basics. Now, if there's some, you know, super intellectual, spiritual, theological issues that you're not quite comfortable with, that's okay. Probably I'm not either. But when it comes to the basics, you ought to be able. So why is it that you're going to somebody you think is wiser and more spiritual when you need to be teaching? And so he is saying, and and if you will, almost condemning them in the sense of they haven't grown. So much so that they need, if you will, milk and not solid food. And he's going to expand this uh, analogy slightly. He says, for verse 14, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. And he's going to compare and goes, when, when an infant's born, it needs milk. That's what sustains it. That's what nourishes it. That's what helps it to grow. But every mother who has ever breastfed her child can't wait for the day when the child starts eating solid food, whether that's parade or whatever, because you want it to mature and you want it not to be necessarily so dependent on the milk, that it can handle solid food so that when you go to a restaurant, you can order a cheeseburger and he or she can eat and you can eat in peace. And he's going, so if you're not accustomed to solid food, you still need milk. Now, notice it says, who partakes only of milk. Now I'm an adult, and I've been an adult a very long time. I won't tell you how long, but it's been a very long time I've been an adult. I still like milk and cookies. Doesn't mean I'm immature. Means I like milk and cookies. Now I know some adults go, oh, how can you like milk? It's whatever. I do. But I don't live on milk. It's like the reason I oftentimes drink milk with like cookies or cake is it helps to cut down the sweet. I'll say people who will drink like a soda and something sweet, like a candy bar, and it's just way too sweet. The milk helps to cut that sweetness down. But I like a good class of milk. Doesn't say here that if you drink milk, there's a problem. Now, in, 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 to kind of help you understand this, a lot of times there are people who just want one of two things. They either want the pastor to preach on salvation because they got that. So it doesn't challenge them. So they're still hearing the gospel over and over, 
but it causes them not to grow because it's still the elementary teachings. It's just the gospel. And the other is that there are times that people want the excitement. They want the emotional comfort that the milk provides. And so there's time when, when God says, no, no, I don't want you to be dependent on emotions. Yeah, you were all emotional when you came to know me and you're all excited. And when you pray, you've, you feel like you're touching heaven and all those types of things. But then there comes a day in our spiritual walk when it kind of seems like it's a little bit routine and it's a little like maybe God isn't there and we're waiting for the excitement and we wonder how come God moved. God didn't move. God's saying, it's time for you to get off the milk and start eating solid food. Stop depending on the emotion and depend on the word of God. Take the meat. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice, having their senses trained to discern good and evil. So he's saying what this takes is practice. You can't say, well, I read the Bible once and understand what it says. No, no, it takes practice to develop and to eat the meat of the word of God. Because sometimes there are passages that you can kind of scratch your head and, well, why is the Bible written like that? What's the point of that? You know, and, and you hear pastors will preach on a particular sermon uh, title. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, almost everyone who's ever heard a sermon on the prodigal son thinks the whole point of the story is the prodigal son. Then every once in a while you'll get a pastor says, no, no, the, the, um, the point of the story is not the prodigal son. The point of the story is the son that remains at home because he's talking to the Pharisees. Then you get somebody like me who goes, no, no, the point of the story is not the prodigal son or the fun son who stayed at home. It's about the dad. How the dad loved both kids, even though one wanted him dead and the other one was dead spiritually himself. And so if you get used to only hearing what other people think about the scriptures, you can be misled because, well, Pastor Joe and Joe, so-and-so said this, and Pastor Whatchamacallit said that, and you know, if I like one over the other, then I'll pick what they said. But when you read the word of God, you discern and you say, okay, this is a difficult passage. Let me eat on it. Let me chew it. Let me think about it. Let me meditate on it. Now, the sad thing is this, the standard's pretty low here. Because I would have thought he said, by training your senses, you would have an acute Theological perspective. That's what it says. It says, so that you are trained to discern good and evil. To me, that's pretty basic. I shouldn't have to teach my children and my grandchildren for very long the difference between good and evil. Good and bad may be, you know, may be a little more difficult, but good and evil, it seems pretty clear but it apparently isn't because there is a sense of we need to train our senses. And I guess why? Because the world is different than us. 
what the world thinks is not evil, we do. At least the word of God does. So we need to get a different worldview. And that requires seeing the word of God. Chapter 6. Therefore, because you need meat and not the milk of the word. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Now I want to stop there. He says, we need to leave the elementary teachings. It's time to grow up. It's time to start eating meat. It's not time to continue drinking. I'm going to share three different groups of people. And before I do, let me preface it by saying this. None of the three groups of people that I'm going to talk about currently attend our congregation. So don't think I'm talking about you because I ain't. Okay. So there was this one couple. He had been previously married and got divorced and married a woman who had been previously married and got a divorce. And they, and they attended church regularly and, and, and whatever. But every time there, there was a course on marriage, they took it. I think they even took the same course three times in a row. There gets to be a point when you stop taking the course and doing the course. But there's always a sense of, well, I need to learn. I need to learn. I need to learn. No, no, you need to do. And we get trapped in this loop that if we hear the word of God, that somehow that's significant. No, no, we're supposed to hear the word of God and then do the word of God. And so they are stuck with the elementary teachings about marriage. There was another person. He would love to have a debate with me or a discussion with me about the difference between predestination and free choice. And after the first couple of times of having a discussion with him, I then started to realize he wasn't, it wasn't like he was challenging me on my point of view but it didn't seem like I was affecting his point of view. So I'm going, what's the point of doing this? We're just spinning our wheels because he couldn't get off that topic. One of the ways to get on that, get off of that topic, study the word of God. Maybe read what different commentators and pastors over the last 500 years have said on the topic, decide what you think and then move on but it's trapped in that loop of spinning. And then the final one, which I feel spiritually sorry for, is we Baptists have a doctrine, which I believe is very biblical, called eternal security. We believe that Jesus, once he saves you, keeps you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, not even yourself. So we believe in that. But there's this person who struggled with that, kept thinking that there was something he could do to lose his salvation. And I must have had six or seven conversations 
with that person about the scriptures, not about what I thought, showing him the scriptures of quote unquote eternal security. And he still had the emotional response. I can screw it up. You see, he can't leave the elementary teachings There is a time to graduate from kindergarten. If you were a parent of a child and your son or daughter comes home with a great picture and maybe see Jack run on the bottom of it and whatever, and you say, boy, my child's a brilliant because in kindergarten, they were able to do this. And then the next year, they're still in kindergarten, and they drew the same picture and wrote the same words. You would start to say, maybe they're not as brilliant as I thought. And then they get to when they should be in high school, but they're still in kindergarten, drawing the same picture and writing the same words. You've gone, gone from them being brilliant to them needing some help. That's kind of where we are spiritually. We expect our children to grow up in the world and to mature in the world, but we don't expect them to grow up in maturity in the faith. We don't expect even ourselves to grow up in the maturity of faith. Let us press on to maturity. Let us move from drinking milk to eating meat. Let us move from wondering what Jesus would do and know and do what Jesus would do. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from the dead works and of faith towards God, of instructions about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He's laid out what he considers the elementary teachings, which we think are somehow meat. We think somehow understanding what God is doing means that we are somehow spiritually mature. And the writer of Hebrews saying, no, no, you're still an infant. If, if you're Claim to fame is that you know that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. The writer's saying, wonderful, you got it right. You just drew a nice picture and wrote one sentence. Move on. Well, I believe that if you lay your hands on somebody that you can impart the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. What's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? Instructions of washings. We used to, early on in the church, wash people's feet. Kind of stopped doing that. It's kind of pointless because everybody made sure they had a bath before they came to church to get their feet washed. And of eternal, well, the resurrection of the dead. Um, even Paul had to deal with this one because he kept being tried because he was preaching that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. He's going, wait a minute, guys. 
I'm not giving you anything new. Moses talked about it. The prophets talked about it. This isn't new. This is elementary. And somehow we think we're super spiritual because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That's basic. When you're a child and you're trying to decide what you want to be when you grow up, sometimes you start charting your life's decisions. A lot of people think that they're going to be something when they grow up, but then never chart those decisions to be that. I wanted to be a lawyer after I was seven years old. In high school, I took four years of Latin. It's a dead language. Nobody talks it. But the law had a lot of Latin phrases. So I thought it would be beneficial for me to take Latin. So I did. And those four years of Latin did help me for one day in law school. I had a professor in law school who was in torts, and he was the fear of the campus. I mean, on the first day of, of class, second and third year students came to watch the girls cry. That's how mean he was. And so he would, basically his MO was, he would call you, you'd have to stand up, he would ask you some question, make you look super ridiculous and then have sit you down and then call somebody else, make them look super ridiculous and sit them down. Well, he did this on this Latin phrase. Nobody knew it. Send them a reading material. Even if I hadn't taken Latin, I, I read it. So I did the unthinkable. I raised my hand. So he called on me. So I told him what the Latin phrase was. He goes, so he gives me another Latin phrase. So I tell him what that is. Then he says, take this hypo, and that's a hypothetical. They give you a, a fact pattern, and you're supposed to analyze it. So he gave me a hypo, and I analyzed it and gave him the answer. And then he said, take this hypo, which was a modification of that, and I analyzed that. And then he said, very good, you may be seated. Every eye in that classroom looked at me. And from that point on, everybody thought I had law school wired because I got a very good from that guy and sat down. Now, I was just lucky, took four years of Latin, so I felt a little more comfortable, but that was it. And so I had made a decision about law school and about being a lawyer, so I took Latin. Let's say you want to be a Rocket scientists. And the reason I'm using rocket scientists is because we tend to think that that's kind of like the ultimate, because we always say, well, it, that's not rocket science. You know, so we, we say, you know, well, here's a two plus two question. Well, it's not rocket science or, you know, it, do I invest in Microsoft or Apple? Well, it's not rocket science. So apparently rocket science is like the epitome of knowledge. 
So if you're going to be a rocket scientist, you probably need to take a lot of math classes. So not only mathematics, but then you need to take algebra and geometry and trigonometry and calculus. And you need to take physics and Newtonian physics. And you need to take astrophysics. And you probably need to take things like chemistry. And you need to take things like engineering so that you might be a competent rocket scientist. Here's the problem with becoming a rocket scientist. At some time in our future, it'll be as, about as useful to be a rocket scientist as it is to manufacture buggy whips. What do you mean by that? Because there's going to be some way that somebody in the future, just as we had never considered an automobile, there's somebody in the future who's going to develop some type of transportation system that you don't need rockets. You need some, so being a rocket scientist is like you're not unemployed. Because who, who needs a buggy whip now? And even if sometime in our future, we don't do away with rockets, when Jesus comes, we won't need rockets because he was able to be transported from the heavenlies to earth and back without any kind of mechanical device. If you're going to spend that kind of time on something that eventually is going to be obsolete, why would you not spend that kind of time in understanding the word of God? There is a phrase, that, there is a the statement that says that there was a group of scientists and philosophers and educators and other brilliant people climbing the mountain of knowledge. And when they got on top, what they found was a band of theologians. We need to mature in the word of God because the word of God will last forever. So when we have become believers, we should not be content saying, well, I got my fire insurance. It's good enough. I'll put myself on layaway. And when Jesus comes, everything will be wonderful. No, that's not why he called you. He called you to be in his relationship with him and to grow and to minister to others. And you can't grow and minister to others unless you not only take milk, like in milk and cookies, but that you eat the meat of the word so that you know the word of God, so that you can communicate the word of God. Verse four. This is where I say he's optimistic because he started back in verse 11 saying, y'all are dull and hearing. I wish I could teach you but you're just not with it. And this we will do if God permits. He's saying, okay, I know there's a group of you who are just hanging on to elementary teachings, but there is a group of you who want to move on. And I'm going to spend my time with them. 
And if God permits, I'm going to teach you more about Melchizedek. And I'm going to teach you more about things that are not just the elementary teachings. And so that you might move to maturity. It's more about Jesus. It's more about who he is. I am so tired of pastors telling you what Jesus would do. You read the scriptures and determine what Jesus would do. Jesus isn't political. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. He could care less about ours. Jesus isn't a Republican or a Democrat or an independent or a communist or a socialist. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. Don't tell me what Jesus would do to, to justify what you're doing. Tell me what Jesus is doing so that you will do it. Know him and the power of his resurrection. So I guess if you had to shorten these views, verses, it would simply be grow up. But you see, we don't want to do that because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So the more thing is, come on, baby. Let's go from crawling to walking. And honey, come, up, come from walking to running. And go from running to sprinting. And go from sprint, sprinting to flying with the eagles. Grow up. Mature. And the awesome thing about that is that the more mature a congregation is, the more loving they are, the more merciful they are, the more forgiving they are. And so in a congregation of mature Christians, you don't find judgmental people. You find people with open arms saying, I remember when I was in kindergarten. Let me help you get to first grade. Let me help you get to second and not only let me help you graduate high school, not only let me help you graduate college, let me help you get a PhD in the Word of God. I'm here to help you, to teach you, so that you can teach others. More about Jesus. More about Jesus. More about there is never a time, just like a lot of other areas of life, you could dedicate your life on rocket science and never fully grasp it all, but even more so, you could spend your life studying the word of God and never grasp it all. But the difference is one will never, ever fail. And the other will someday become irrelevant. Let us spend our effort, our time, our sweat, our blood, 
our intentions of studying his word. His word. Who he sent to love us, to die for us, to be raised again, those elementary principles, so that we may leave them secure in that knowledge and to understand things like, I don't know, if you think you got it all down, write a paper on the Trinity. Because I tell you what, no one has ever written on the Trinity that hasn't been a heretic. Because every time you try to explain it, you mess it up. So you want something really complex to, to wrap your head around and to contemplate and to meditate on and to figure out how is it that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and yet he's three people, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How can one God be on earth walking around saying, I'm going to do the will of the Father while the Father is in heaven and the Spirit's doing other things? It's one of the reasons I know that that's true. Because no human can explain it. It's not, a, it's not an imagination of human thought. It is a mystery revealed by God that we have not yet fully grasped. So there's a lot in the scriptures to learn and to teach. And all God's people said, 